Well, it is Palm Sunday, which means it's the beginning of our celebration of Easter. Easter is not one day, it's actually one whole week that we think about what Jesus did for us. And so Palm Sunday is the beginning of that time of reflection. This whole week will be leading up to Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. So I would love to invite all of you to our Good Friday Memorial right here at Southwood at 7 p.m. This Friday, we're going to gather together and we're going to reflect on the meaning of what Jesus did. We're going to think about what he suffered on our behalf. Now, just to let you know, there won't be childcare during that service, and it's not really appropriate for young children. It's a very solemn time. And this year, there will be hammers and nails involved. So, just a heads up. We do invite all of you and your kids back on Sunday morning when we celebrate the resurrection together. There'll be full children's programming. We'd love to have you here. And in particular, I want to encourage you to invite neighbors or coworkers, classmates, family members who don't yet know Jesus. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk in depth about the grace of Jesus and the gospel. I'm going to walk them through exactly who Jesus is and what he offers them. So it'll be a whole message on the gospel. Love to have them here to hear that good news. Now, you may have noticed when you walked in this morning, the room looks a little bit different. Our Dynamite creative team worked hard this week with the help of artist Scott Erickson to gather these 12 images. We're calling them Reflections on the Cross. And they're designed to give us visual clues to remind us of all that Jesus endured on our behalf. It's so easy to become jaded to the cruel reality of the cross, to not think about the torture that Jesus experienced on our behalf. And so these images are there to remind us what it meant for Jesus to take our sins and die in our place. So after the service, I invite you to stick around and look at these images, spend some time um, checking them out. And then I would invite you this afternoon, go to our website, grace-bible.org. And on the homepage, you'll see this image. Click it and it will give you all the information on the Good Friday service and a link where you can download a guide that has all 12 images along with a verse for each image and a discussion question. And what we'd like you to do is to get that document, it's a PDF printed out, and use it in, in your life. If you're a parent, use it with your kids. Talk about it as a family throughout this week. We want you to be thinking about what Jesus went through all week long, not just on Friday. So use this guide to help to help guide your time as we think about the crucifixion and resurrection of our Savior. This morning we're back in the book of Matthew, so you can turn to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to continue moving through Matthew. I, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, sometimes when you pick up the news and you read a headline in the news, sometimes it's all bad news. Like everybody who reads that headline is going to say, wow, that is an awful thing. Like a child falls down a well or there's a new disease spreading. Everyone would say that's bad. Sometimes you read the headline and it's all good news. Everyone who reads that headline would say, wow, that is just incredibly awesome news. Like this one, giant pandas are no longer close to extinction. How great is that? (laughs) Who doesn't love pandas? That's incredible. Or this one, deaf dachshund finds his forever home after being taught sign language. I have no idea how you teach a dog sign language, but you'd have to be Hitler not to love that news. That's awesome news. But most of the time when you read a headline, whether it's good news or bad news, will depend on your perspective. It'll depend on your circumstances and situation in life. It'll be good news for some, bad news for others. So when Trump won the election, it was good news for some, bad news for others. 
a few weeks ago, I heard rumors in the news that NSYNC is going to get back together and tour. Is that good news or bad news? Well, totally depends on your opinion of late 90s boy bands. Could be good, could be bad. All depends on your perspective. So that's what we're going to see in our passage this morning. Jesus is going to give us a command. And is that command good news or bad news? Totally depends on your perspective. So let, let me help you understand where we are in Matthew. We're in chapter 22. This is the last week of Jesus' life. He has already entered into Jerusalem and he's come to the temple. And he's now in a head-to-head battle with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they're attempting to humiliate Jesus. That's their goal. They want to publicly shame him. And so they ask him pointed questions that are designed to trap him in his words so he looks bad. So their first question is a brilliant one. They ask him about taxation. Should you pay your taxes or not? And, and what they're thinking is if Jesus tells us pay your taxes, the crowds will hate him. And if he says don't pay your taxes, the Romans will hate him. So he can't win, but Jesus does because he's Jesus. And so he gives an answer that is so perfectly wise and balanced that everyone is just stunned into silence. You really ought to read it at the beginning of chapter 22. It's amazing. Then they ask him a second question. It's a a biblical question about resurrection and marriage. It's super complicated and Jesus humiliates him again because he knows the Bible so much better than they do. Now they're going to ask him a third and final question designed to trap him in his words. So look with me. Let's pick it up in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Most of you have heard this before. This is a very famous passage. So famous that it was given a name. This is called the Great Commandment. It's been called that for centuries by Christians. It's, it's so famous and so central in scripture that it's actually the first line of our mission statement as a church. What is Grace Bible Church about? Number one, this. Most churches actually have it in their mission statement because it's, it's so clear that this is really important to Jesus. So you've heard it many times. In fact, some of you have heard this so often that you don't really pay attention to it anymore. It just kind of washes over you. You hear someone preaching this passage and you just think, wow, that feels warm and fuzzy and comfortable because I've been here before. It's thinking, amen, preach it. Yes, this is right. This is what we should focus on. So to us, this passage feels like good news. It feels comfortable. It feels warm and familiar. But it did not to the original audience. When the original audience heard Jesus say these words, they did not feel warm. They did not feel comfortable, nor did they feel happy. This was incredibly bad news to them. Let me show you. In a parallel passage, the book of Mark records this exchange as well. And after Jesus finishes saying what he says, this is what it tells us. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. There's no one saying, amen. No one saying, preach it. No hands raised. No one clapping. They're stunned into silence because they are terrified. They're petrified about what Jesus just taught them. So let me explain this to you. Let me help you see how this passage that to us feels familiar and comfortable was incredibly bad news to them. 
So I'll set it up for you. Let me explain this. This question that the lawyer asked is actually a very common question in first century within the Jews. They, they would ask this question to one another all the time because the Pharisees, these religious lawyers, they had taken all of God's commands in the Old Testament and listed them out. And there were 613. That's an incredibly long list of commands. No one can keep all of those commands in mind. And so it's natural to ask, well, what is most important? Help us, God, to focus on, on what matters most. And their goal was to simplify the law so that you could keep it. Okay, focus, narrow it down so that we can actually keep this thing called the law. That was the goal. But the problem was is that different rabbis gave different answers. What's the most important command? Well, this rabbi says one thing, this rabbi says another. So people were divided. So the lawyer is thinking, if I can get Jesus to pick a side in this debate, well, at least half the people in the room are not going to like his answer. And they won't like him. So the lawyer's trying to trap Jesus, force him to take sides in a contentious debate. Jesus turns the tables on him and ends up blowing him away and, and stunning everyone into silence. And Jesus' answer centers on this four-letter word, love. Now, you read the word love multiple times in this passage. And when most modern people hear that word, love, they think, excellent. To them, this sounds like really good news. Because what does America love above all things? Love. We, we love to experience love. We love to fall in love. We love to be in love. That's a, an emotion, a feeling that everybody wants to have. And so when most Americans read this passage, they think, wow, this is great news, right? Wrong. You don't understand what the word means. America misunderstands Jesus' commands because they have not defined the word correctly. You cannot understand the Bible if you don't define your words. So what does Jesus mean by the word love? It's, it's the Greek word agapao. It's a verb, to love. And, and it means to cherish or to be devoted to someone. But what does it actually look like to be devoted to someone? Well, Jesus tells us in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And so the, the essence of biblical love is sacrifice, what it means to love is it means you choose to sacrifice yourself for the sake of the other. And so what does America get wrong about love? They assume that it's an emotion, that it's a, a pleasant feeling. No, it's not. Love is a choice to sacrifice and sacrifice never feels pleasant. In fact, to love someone will often cause you to have to say and do things that are the exact opposite of what you want to do. Biblical love is an incredibly hard thing. It is a choice to sacrifice self for the good of the other. With that in mind, Jesus tells us that's the, the kind of love, this sacrificial love, this hard love. You're to have that kind of love for God. First, for God. That's what he says in verse 37. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Very famous verse in the Old Testament. It's part of a passage that all good Jews memorized. They called it the Shema. And, and they would quote this memorized passage twice a day. They would carve it into the doorposts of their homes because they viewed it as a summary of the first four of the Ten Commandments. This summarizes our responsibility to God. We're to love him, the Lord our God. Now, why does Jesus say, with all your heart, soul, and mind? Why mention three things? Is he trying to divide it up? Well, no. 
In Hebrew and in Greek, all three of those words overlap. They're, they're, you can't pull them apart. They just kind of look at you as a person in distinct ways. So your heart, when someone biblically talks about your heart, they're not talking about the organ in your chest. They're talking about your desires and choices. Biblically, that's what your heart is, what you want and choose to do. So what does it mean to love God with your heart? Well, Jesus tells us, John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. To love God with our heart means that we want and choose to do all that God wants us to do. So just to be clear, if you say, I love God with all my heart, and then you choose sin, you are therefore a liar. Can't have it any other way. Okay, so to love God with our heart means we obey him in all that we desire to do and choose to do. Love him with our soul. Your soul refers to actually all of you as a person. It's like in old English when, when, a, when a boat sank and we would say a hundred souls were lost. That's actually what the biblical word means. It's, it's you, your life, your breath. Mind, that refers to your intellect, your knowledge, your understanding, your thought life. So Jesus, he names all three of these aspects of you, not to try to divide your love for God into three different buckets, but to try to get you to understand what God wants is that you would love God with every fiber of your being at all times, that you would absolutely be sacrificially devoted to God in all that you think and all that you feel and all that you choose and all that you say and all that you do. That's a really high command. Love God with every fiber of your being at all times. That is only matched by the second command that Jesus gives us. Because he tells us not only are we to have that sacrificial love for God, we're to have that sacrificial love for our neighbor as well. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. That's a quotation from Leviticus 19. And interestingly, Jesus has already quoted that verse from Leviticus twice in the book of Matthew. This is the third time. So I think Jesus is telling us he wants us to know this one. This is a verse worth memorizing. Jesus repeated it often. This was a significant verse for the Jews also because it summarizes the second half of the Ten Commandments, our responsibility towards others. So you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what's the first question that everybody asks when they hear that command? Who is my neighbor? Why do we ask that? Because we want to limit the scope of Jesus's command. Because there's a lot of people on this planet, like seven billion, I can't love all of them. So who exactly do I have to love like I love myself? Who God is my neighbor? The problem is we are already past the parable of the Good Samaritan. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus taught us what love looks like. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Well, think about this Good Samaritan who showed love to this Jewish man who was beaten and left for dead. What connected them? Absolutely nothing. They did not come from the same country. They were not of the same ethnicity. They were not of the same race. They were not of the same economic class. They had never seen each other before. They didn't work at the same place. They didn't do the same thing. They weren't the same kind of people. They would have never even had a conversation with each other. So what is it that tied the good Samaritan to this Jew who was in great need? Opportunity. The Samaritan had an opportunity to help and Jesus says, therefore, he is a neighbor. Jesus' point by saying neighbor is not to limit the scope of the command. It's actually to throw the doors open. Who is your neighbor? Any of the seven billion people on earth, you have a chance to help. That's your neighbor. If you have an opportunity to help someone in need, that person is by definition your neighbor. And you're to love them like you love yourself. But what does it mean to love yourself? Well, some days I wake up and I don't really like myself. I'm down on myself. I'm frustrated with myself. I'm angry about something I did. 
Yet even on those days, I still take care of myself. Like I eat food and I drink water and I clothe myself and I protect myself. And I don't even think about it. I just do that naturally because that's what we do. We take care of ourselves. And Jesus is saying you're to do the same for everyone on this planet in need. You're to just spontaneously, instantaneously, without thinking about it, take care of their needs like you would take care of your own needs. Now, sometimes that's going to cost you. You're going to jump in and take care of the needs of, of a coworker or a classmate or a family member or just someone you randomly met all of a sudden. And it's going to cost you money and time. So what do you do? You give your money and time. Well, the answer is yes. And, and here's why. Because I'm guessing many of you are hungry right now. You want me to wrap this up soon so you can go to lunch, right? It's okay. I understand. I want to also. Um, You want to go to lunch. Lunch is going to happen here in a little bit, and you are going to fork over money and time to eat food to satisfy your need. And how many of you are going to be sad about that exchange? Very few of you. We actually, we love to eat lunch. It's my favorite meal of the day. I love lunch. So it's not a sacrifice to give my money to take care of this need. Jesus is saying you're to feel the same way about meeting other people's needs. When you see a need, you don't hesitate. You're you're not begrudging towards it. No, you pull out your wallet and you take care of that need joyfully because that's how you take care of your own needs. We're to have that kind of selfless, sacrificial, joyful love towards others, especially those in need. Paul describes that kind of love in Philippians 2. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as as more important than yourselves. Not equal with yourself, but more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. We're to take other people's needs and desires and view them as more important than ourselves. We're to do that towards all people on earth at all times. How many of you are beginning to see how this is bad news? You look at this command that Jesus has just given us. Here's the summary of the law. Here is the summary of what God demands of us. It's incredibly bad news because none of us have obeyed this a single day of our lives. Do you realize how much easier it would have been if Jesus would have just said, thou shalt not murder? I can keep that one. Instead, he gives us a command that is so infinitely beyond us, none of us have ever obeyed it. I added it up this week. I have been alive on this planet almost 15,000 days now. Almost 15,000 days. I'll celebrate that this week. And I have not obeyed this command a single one of those days. I'm zero for 15,000. Keeping Jesus' command to love God and to love others. I never do this. I just can't live up to this standard. This is part of the reason that I always feel very uncomfortable at weddings. I don't, some of you probably like going to weddings. I, I don't. It's really un, I have to dress up. First of all, I don't like that. I don't like wearing a tie. Second, it's a really formal ceremony. I'm always afraid somebody's going to do something weird and it's going to be embarrassing. But the worst part is that invariably at some point in the wedding ceremony, somebody gets up and reads 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, so I want you to hear this passage. Everybody thinks it's so beautiful. Here it is. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Everybody else thinks it's so beautiful and wonderful. To me, it is terrifying. This is a crushing passage. Because Jesus just said in the great commandment, you've got to have this kind of love for God and for everyone on the planet all the time. And I have never measured up. 
Not for one minute of one hour of one day of my marriage to Julie or one day of my parenting to Luke or Gracie or one day of my pastorate towards you. I have never loved you like this. Every time I hear 1 Corinthians 13, I just see how far short I have fallen. When you understand what Jesus means by the word love, you are finally ready to see how the law is incredibly bad news. Sum up the law in one thing, love God with every fiber of your being all the time and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself all the time. And by neighbor, I mean all 7 billion people on the planet. You add that up and you realize we have absolutely no hope of keeping the law. The law is impossible for us. And that is why we need a savior. Because you know where this story is headed. You know what Jesus is going to do. Just a few days after this conversation, he's going to go to the cross. Where he is going to die for all of your sins, including your daily failure to obey the great commandment. He's going to take all of that sin and die in your place. That's the great news that we call the gospel. The gospel tells us that, that there is an exchange that took place at the cross. That, that implement of execution is also a place where Jesus exchanged something with you. So here's what happened. When Jesus went to the cross, he took all of his righteousness and obedience and love. Because, because you recognize, Jesus actually did obey the great commandment. He's the only human being ever to do it. He did it every day of his entire life. So he had perfect love, perfect righteousness, perfect obedience, only human being to have it, and he took it off himself and put it on you. And in place of that, he took all of your sin, all of your evil, all of your selfishness, all of your pride off of yourself and placed it on him and then died in your place. That's the exchange of the cross. You got his love, he got your sin. Peter describes it this way, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. He alone is just, he alone is righteous, he alone is loving, he took our place. He died for us so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He got your sin, you got his righteousness. That's the exchange of the cross. You get it for free. He offers his perfect love, his perfect righteousness to you for free as a gift, but he won't force it on you. You have to say yes. You, you, you have to want that. Every person faces a choice in life. Here's what the choice looks like. You you get to make this choice today. You're going to stand before God at some point in the future. And he's going to ask, why should I let you into my perfect heaven? And you have two options. Option number one is because you're standing on your merits. And so you begin to tell God all the good you've done. I loved people a lot, and I loved you a lot, and I read your Bible, and I came to church a lot, and I didn't do any of the really bad stuff like murder, and I gave my money, and I served at charities, and God will look at all of that, and then he will open the book, and he will show, well, here's what I required. Perfect love every second of every day for me and every person on the planet. Did you do that? And the answer will be no. Your other option is that you arrive in heaven, and instead of standing on your merits, you stand on Christ. And you say to God, I don't deserve to get into your heaven. I have never obeyed you as you required, but your son did. And I have his righteousness because he died in my place and rose from the dead and gave it to me for free. And the gates will swing open and you're in. That's the choice of the gospel. You stand on your merits and fail or stand on Jesus's merits and enter. God offers heaven to you as a free gift. 
You just need to say yes. Yes. For those of us who have said yes, who have believed that really good news, something amazing happens. The moment that you trust in Jesus and and believe that good news, this great commandment that is such bad news is transformed into good news. And let me explain it to you. So the great commandment actually becomes good news for us who've trusted in Jesus. Remember what the Pharisees did. They took all of the law and they wrote it down as how many commands? 613. So let me ask you, how would you feel if you woke up tomorrow morning and you roll over in bed and you look at your bedside table and there's your daily to-do list and it has 613 items on it? And you know as soon as you check them off, you're going to get a new one the next day that's 613 items long. That'd be crushing. That would be absolutely overwhelming. And so what is Jesus doing in this passage? He's giving us a gift of simplicity. He takes a 613 and he boils it all down to two. Don't worry about the massive list. Just focus on these two things. Love me, love others. That's it. Jesus is giving you this gift of focus in your life. All the law can be boiled down to this. And that gives you peace and purpose and clarity. It reminds me of when I'm talking to a student and I I ask them, hey, what's your major? And they say undeclared. And I suddenly feel sorry for them. (laughs) And the reason I feel sorry for them is because that's a stressful place to be. If your major is undeclared, every time you go to register for classes, pretty much the entire book is an option for you. Like you, you have no focus. You don't know what you're doing. You're just, oh, I guess I'll take this one. I guess I'll take that one. You don't know what to do. There's too many options. There is a blessing that comes from simplicity. When you focus, when you declare your major, now you wake up in the morning knowing what to do. It's, it's manageable. It's clear. That's what Jesus is doing for us. He is declaring our major. Don't worry about the 613. Just do this. Love me, love others. Now we still have the problem of the fact that we can't. We cannot, in and of ourselves, love God or love others as God demands. We don't have that capacity within us. But there's more good news that comes later in the Bible. In the book of John, Jesus makes an incredible promise. He tells us, let me jump through this. John chapter 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. You will know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Jesus is making this incredible promise that that God isn't going to leave us alone. When Jesus went to heaven, when he ascended up to heaven, he sent the, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to come and live permanently inside his people. That promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. It's recorded in Acts chapter 2, and it's repeated Every time somebody trusts in Jesus, the Holy Spirit immediately descends from heaven and comes to live inside that person. So now God lives in you. So here's the amazing thing. Can you love God as God requires? No, you can't. But the Holy Spirit can. And he lives inside of you. Can you love your neighbor as you love yourself? No, you can't. But God can. And he lives inside you. So the question becomes, if God lives inside of me, how do I tap into his power, his strength, his love, so I can fulfill his commands? Well, Paul tells us. In Galatians chapter 5, he says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. If you walk by the Holy Spirit, you will not give in to the sinfulness and selfishness and pride and arrogance that, that keep you from loving God and loving other people. But what does it look like to walk by the Spirit? Easy way to understand this. Think about a toddler 
trying to cross an incredibly busy street in New York City. If that toddler tries to do it on his or her own, it's going to be bad. Going to die. Can't do it. So what does that toddler need to do? Well, just this. Lift up a hand and eyes to the parents. That's it. Look to the parent, lift up the hand, and follow where the parent leads. Then the child makes it safely across the street. The child can't get himself across the street safely, but the parent can. So as the child holds up his hand, looks to the parent, and allows the parent to lead, it makes it safely across the street. Well, that's what life looks like for those of us who have trusted in Jesus. What does God want you to do? He wants you to lift your eyes and your hand to the Spirit. Holy Spirit, where you lead, I will go. I, I will follow you. I submit to you. Take me where you want me to go so that I can do what only you can do. And Paul tells us, as we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, as we lift our eyes and our hands to the Spirit, what's the result? The fruit of the Spirit in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The the fruit of the Spirit are, are supernatural character traits that you cannot manufacture in your life. I hope you understand that. God is not telling you, hey, go be more loving. It's like telling a dog to fly can't happen. What God says is, I will make you more loving. What you have to do is walk by my spirit, and I will give you his love. I will give you his joy. I will give you his peace, all supernatural traits. I will build them in your life. That's the great promise of the Holy Spirit in us. As we walk by the spirit, the spirit produces the love in our lives that God requires. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know if you ever thought about that irony. Because God gives you his spirit, God is actually satisfying God's own demands in, his, in your life. He does the work. He transforms you and grows you so that you can love as he requires. Now let's get practical. Been pretty heady, pretty theological so far. Practically speaking, what do you need to go do this week so that you can walk by the spirit and grow in his supernatural love? Well, this is where we fit in to the spiritual disciplines. That's where this subject comes up. The spiritual disciplines, these are ancient habits that Christians have been practicing for 2,000 years. And the point of these religious habits, you're not earning brownie points with God. Nothing earns brownie points with God. And you're not making yourself more holy. There's nothing magical about the spiritual disciplines. What they are is, is habits that make you available to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. As you practice these ancient habits, the Holy Spirit meets you in those habits and works on you, setting you free from sin and growing you in love and joy and peace and in patience. Now, I can't walk you through all the spiritual disciplines today. I need way more than one sermon to do that. I'm just going to point out three that I have found to be particularly helpful in my life for growing love. So the Holy Spirit has used these three habits in my life to grow my love for God and for other people. So the first is to read the word, to read this book, which is unlike any other book. We're told in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, like newborn infants long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. So this book is like milk or or formula to an infant. It, It strengthens you. It grows you. As you read this book, the Spirit actually meets you here and uses these words to transform your heart and grow you in righteousness, maturity, love, peace, all of those things. So if you want to grow up in love, you've got to spend time reading and studying and memorizing this book. It's got to be a habit to you. You've got to make it a, a normal part of your life. 
So that's the first habit. Be in this book. Second habit that will be used by the Spirit to grow your love is to give. Jesus says something really extraordinary. You may have never thought about it as, as extraordinary. In Matthew chapter 6, he tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a universal truth. It's like the law of gravity. It's true for every person everywhere at all times. It's telling you that your heart, that is your desires, your affections and choices, will follow your wallet. It's true for every person on earth. Your heart will follow your wallet. That's actually an incredible promise because what Jesus is telling you is if you want to love the right thing, what do you need to do? You need to give to the right thing. If you want to love God, what do you need to do? You need to develop the habit of giving money to God. It's as simple as that. Don't do it one big time a year. Split it up. Do it as a habitual thing. Give financially to God, to God's kingdom, to God's church, to ministries, to missions. Give to God's purposes and it will force your heart to love God. Your heart always follows your money. Second, if you want to love other people, what do you need to do? You need to give your money to other people, particularly those in need. When you see a a classmate, a neighbor, someone in need, take out your wallet, give them money, and your heart will follow. Your heart always follows your money. So give to the right things, you will love the right things. Develop that as a habit, and your heart will grow. Third, serve. This is related to the second. Giving, we're giving money. Serve, we're giving time. Time and talents to to help those in need. Now, there's an incredible number of opportunities for service in our community, whether it's through our church, through one of the ministries in this town, through the university. Lots of opportunities for service. I'm just going to point out two that you may not be aware of. So this is not by any means exhaustive. If you go to our website and click the word serve at the top of the screen, you will get like the exhaustive list and it's massive. So you can go there and figure out how you'd like to serve. But two in particular that you may not be aware of. This summer, we're really excited. As a church, we're going to do something new this summer. It's going to be called Grace for the City. Grace for the City. And the key dates, I want you to write these down or mark it in your mind. June 3rd through 10th. If you will be here June 3rd through 10th, we want to invite you to join us in Grace for the City. In years past, we've done Backyard Bible Clubs, where we've done these clubs for kids, but we want to do something bigger this year and serve the whole town. If you still want to do a Backyard Bible Club, we'll we'll get you curriculum from past years to help you do that. But as a church, we're going to focus on the entire community. So there's going to be a few things, a few options for you. We can resource and prepare you and help you to, to host an awesome neighborhood block party where you serve your neighbor's food with the goal of growing, to know them better and and share the love of Jesus with them. We're going to connect you or pair you with community charities here in town. So we're going we're gonna to help you to pair up that week with some of the charities here in the city and you can go out and actually serve them in very physical and practical ways and, and develop that habit of service. We'd love to have you serve that charity for like the whole week but then develop like a habit that every month you go out and serve that particular charity to build up this habit. And then third, if you're interested in this one, we're going to partner with some of the public schools in this town and set up work projects. Guys in particular, we're going to go and actually work on the schools, beautifying them, helping them to accomplish their purpose as an opportunity for us to show them the love of Christ. 
So we'd love to have you set those dates aside, June 3rd through 10th, Grace for the City. We're going to reach this community and show them the love of Christ in practical ways. So that's one opportunity for service. Here's another that's Southwood specific. It's a really beautiful ministry that's really new here. We're calling it Retreat. It's once a month. The next date is April 28th, but it's, it's one night every month. This ministry is designed to give a, a night off to parents with special needs kids. As, as, as a parent with, with a special need kid, it, it's incredibly difficult for those parents to be able to get away for a night. Incredibly difficult. And so we want to bless them. And so what we've done is set up a program where they can bring their kids, both special needs kids and all their kids, to the church. And we have an incredible program for them. We provide excellent care for the, so that those parents can have confidence to actually go out on a date, which they may not have been able to go out on a date in a long time. So we bless them so that they can get rest. For that to happen, we need volunteers. And so if this is something that you would like to do, this is a great way to build a habit. You do it once a month. And what you're signing up to do is you can sign up to be a one-on-one buddy with a special needs child. Just spending the whole evening caring for that child. Or you can provide care for for all the other kids there and, and be friendly with them and play with them and just give these parents a night of rest. So if you're interested in helping us with our retreat ministry, you can email Sarah Moffitt, Sarah Moffitt at suddenlink.net. You can get that email address from me if you can't see it on the screen, but we would love to be able to fully staff this program so that we can bless the many families in this church with special needs kids. Lots of opportunities to serve, but here's, here's the big idea. Just make sure we're all on the same page. God expects us to love him with every fiber of our being, every moment of every day of our lives. And he expects us to love every one of the 7 billion people on this planet as much as we love ourselves. None of us are going to do that. That's why Jesus came and did it for us. He loved God that much. He loved neighbors that much. He died for all, more than 7 billion, every person that's ever lived. He died for us all. He was the only one who fulfilled the command. And now he offers you the obedience and righteousness that he earned as a free gift. And in exchange, he takes all your sin all your shame and all your guilt. And all you have to say is yes. If you've said yes to that gift, then God still expects you to love that way, but now he gives you himself. He comes and lives inside of you so that he can love through you. And that's what the Christian life is about. It's not about mustering this divine love. It's not about working harder. It's about allowing God to love through you. Only he can do that. And, and you do that. You allow God to love through you by practicing these habits, building up a habit in your life of reading the word, building up a habit of giving to God and giving to others, building up a habit of serving those in need. As you build up those habits, God will grow within you the love he requires. And you will become a greater and greater follower of Jesus Christ, making a bigger impact on this world. And that's really what this is all about. This week, as we get ready to celebrate Good Friday, when Jesus died, and Easter Sunday when Jesus rose. Let's think about how we can begin to put these habits into our lives, or if they're already there, grow them and expand them so that we can love like Jesus loved. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are a God of love. We thank you and we praise you that you love us so much that you sent your son. And we praise you and we thank you that Jesus loves us so much that he perfectly obeyed all the commands that we fail to obey and then he has given us his obedience as a free gift and taken all of our sin in exchange. 
We thank you that in love Jesus died in our place, took our punishment, and then rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life as a gift. And Lord, we pray for any person in this room who is who has not yet fully understood that, who, who, who for whatever reason has not believed that incredible good news, we pray, Lord, that you, would, that you would speak deeply into their minds. We pray that you would clear away the veil, that you would make the gospel clear and compelling and powerful to them, and that you would save them right here this morning. And for all of us who have been saved by trusting in Jesus, we, we pray that your spirit would meet us and convict us and transform us. We pray that this week you would help us to, to grow in these habits that make us available to your spirit so that he can grow within us the love you require. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that you have not left us alone to flounder. You have instead filled us with your spirit so that he, through us, can produce the love and the joy and the peace and the gentleness and and all of the fruit that you desire to see. Please help us to be available to your spirit this week. Through him, grow us in love so that when people see Grace Bible Church, they will see the love of Jesus Christ in action. Thank you for your goodness and grace. We praise and celebrate you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you all. See you Friday night at seven.